Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lenders. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults. A spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But check this out. No house payments for two months. At SaveWithConrad.com. What's up, Airheads? We're back. It's time once again for Putting On Airs. We're in the virtual Airstream studios. I'm Chey, and that's Cho. Hey. What, you, what, you up, what you up to today, Cho? Oh, not much. Just hanging out, you know, being a dad, having me a teeny tiny sip of, this is a throwback to the in-studio POA days. I hadn't had one since. A little uh, iced tea beverage, you know, in uh-huh. honor of the, the staying fancy. I'm having a little little tea alcohol. I'm not judging. I'm not. Okay. Uh, he, okay. he said before being judgmental. But uh, we recorded the Well Read podcast just yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I remember some version of yesterday, not 24 hours ago, 24 hours All on right. the dot, I believe. I thought you said that you were uh, currently not drinking. I'm not. Um, oh, okay. I have three when we do POA, and that will never change. Wednesday doesn't count. I know this isn't Wednesday. It's Tuesday. But POA doesn't count. And by the way, I have, I only bring with me the three that I'm going to drink, and Uh I don't have any more in the house. And as soon as we get done with this, I go to the park and jog for 30 minutes and then walk for an hour and a half and sweat it all out and drink a half a gallon of water so it goes completely through my system. So there's no hangover, no trace of alcohol. I just think that I owe it to the show to be loose and be, you know, this is this is fun. So what I mean by that is I'm not drinking any other time but POA. I reserve it for here, and I think that's fine. Yeah, I hope the airheads are all very flattered out there by that. That's you should be. Very this is special. This is, the, this is fun. I love this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, like I, I don't drink for just the sake of drinking anymore. It's like this is my time. I, I look forward to this all week. I do my research. I really have fun, and I, it just wouldn't feel right if I was all stuffy and completely fucking sober. Right. So, what are you talking about, later? Later, I'm going to be talking about one of the most famous directors of all time, 
Alfred Hitchcock, oh, yeah. possibly the most. Aye, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Uh, I guess we'll wait till we get there to say what little things I know about him. I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit just because, like, you know. Uh, You're a film buff. I mean, I am, but I'm you not. Are. I, you, you are. You compa- I like, was. I feel you like still I still are compared to the average human being. Maybe, but also it's like it's very, it's very, um, uh, what's the word? Confined by like time period or right. whatever, like my knowledge or whatever. Cause like for people that don't know, my, my dad owned the video store in my hometown growing up, Crowder's video. And I, so I grew up in a video store in the 90s, which was pretty, pretty awesome in a lot of ways. But like, so, Anything from like that general era, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, whatever, and then anything that hit for him, I, you know, am hip to and know a lot about. But like classic shit, he never like made sure to show me classic shit or whatever. We had some classic movies in the video store, but not like an overly large amount. And just as one example, like Hitchcock was someone who was not, uh, well represented for whatever reason. Right. I guess people people weren't coming in there in Clay County and asking for the Hitchcock yeah. section or something. I think I've, I've or I mean I know that I have seen Psycho and I think that that's uh I think that might be it. I think that might be you the only birds? rope. Uh no. North by Northwest? Mm-mm. Wow. Rear window. That's yeah, one right. Yeah. I have my dad to thank for all this. My dad is like a very classic film buff. Like he grew up watching all these. I mean, he was alive when fucking some of them came out, you know. <laughs> and uh and uh yeah, like I mean I remember seeing the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca when I was very young and like I was just always enamored with them. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. Like when it comes to what I prefer, uh, me and you have similar ta- like I would rather right now throw on extraction or true lies for sure but i like watching the old films because you know me i'm a big history guy i love learning about like how we got to where we are today so that's like the one thing that i know a little bit more than you about what's funny about it too and i've talked about this before my dad is like how he like he did show me older movies that like hit for him but in retrospect it feels like they were they were these Movies from the 70s. Well, yeah, John Waters, you know, because he just thought that was hilarious that John Waters <laughs> even existed. You? When yeah. I when he showed me the the scene in, I think it's Pink Flamingos, the scene, Flamingo, in, some John, yeah. scene in John some John Waters movie where a dude uh, opens and closes his asshole up repeatedly <laughs> while the song, bar, 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 what a bird is a word, while that song plays, I was probably... 16 ish or something so not like <laughs> i was fine. definitely in high school yeah right yeah but it but that's that's related to what i was gonna say there's a lot of movies from the 70s shit like that like uh the joke i used to use is like the, you know my dad like my dad would get like upset with me because i didn't get a racer head or whatever <laughs> and i'm like and i'm like i'm 11 what you know what i mean <laughs> yeah like i don't what you think was going to happen but like so he'd show me wild ass movies or like movies definitely not age appropriate and he would it was just so he would show me old shit that like mattered to him the way that your dad did but he was a lot wilder about it like you know like my dad showed me like the deer hunter you know instead of like north by northwest you ever seen deer hunter no i've heard heard it's fucking crazy god damn 
It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my dad wasn't into that it's shit. intense. My dad yeah. was like, uh, he was into Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant, and also like anything from the Mel Brooks ouvoir. Like that's what we were checking yeah. out. We weren't checking out any experimental bullshit. My dad or, liked things that were metal and metal. super fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He passed that along. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I like it uh, well enough, but, uh, so the opposite of that, Katie's got me watching a fucking historical drama from the CW right now. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. What yeah. is it? Uh, it's called rain. It's not on anymore, but it's very, it's a very, I don't, I don't think it's on anymore. It's a very POA type show. I'd never heard of it, but it's like one of them. She put it on and it's like, you know, it's like, uh, like sort of like game of Thrones, but with no dragons or whatever. And well, that ain't like, it. A historical romantic drama television series. Oh God, this ran from like t 2013 to 2016 or 17. But it's very CWE. God damn, there's 78 episodes. What's she got oh, into? Oh no. Um, that means you're gonna have anyway, to watch every one of them. Yeah, but I got. I had a feeling it was it was on the CW pretty quickly because every like. Okay, it takes place in like the court of uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, when she was yeah. still when she was still living in France under France's uh, protection, and was engaged to be married to Crown Prince Francis, the son of King Henri, King Henry, whatever. That's that like son the of a bitch. That's the setting for it, and so like there's peasants and shit around, right? Mm -hmm. And I was noticing so that you like, can identify was, with somebody. Well, but I was like, it ain't a goddamn one of these peasants looks even a yeah. little bit peasanty. Yeah, because right? it's like, on the CW. Right, and and like every single person on it is young and gorgeous, like every one of them. And so I, at one point, I was like, is this a fucking CW show? And I looked it up, and it is. But uh, to be clear, it's honestly, it's, it's like I, you can I can tell you don't hate it. At all. It's kind of yeah. entertaining. It's a yeah. soap opera is what it is. Yeah. Like, it's a, you know, soap opera for, like, 19-year-old girls, I guess. I mean, dude, the CW's <laughs> done good. some really good... The CW's done some good shit. I'm a fan of the Superman and Lois shit. I can't lie. Buffy's yeah. good. So, but I was watching an episode of the... Like I said, it is a very POA-type show. Apparently, there's 78 fucking episodes over four seasons. We're only, like, seven episodes in. I thought we were, like, about done, you know. Well, maybe like I can catch up through. and we can talk about it. Uh, but there's a scene on there last night in one of the episodes about uh, a whipping boy, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you remember whipping boys? They whipped. Or, Correct. Not that you would not that you would remember, but like yeah, right. Well, let's talking remember. about him. That was a boy who whipped, right? What do you mean? Whipped they'd, what? They'd whip people. No. Oh, I, I don't was think thinking we, about like I don't Charleston think we talk, slave days. I don't think we talked about him. I don't think. That's why they, I decided to talk about him on this episode because like it feels like they whipped into action whenever No, it does involve something. it does involve whipping. Okay. But they don't whip. They be whipped. They be whipped. Uh, uh, so you, so you've never you you've never heard of whipping boys before. I think I've heard that phrase, but in my brain, I always just like, yeah, that's in the slave trade. That's the boy that whips. No, it ain't got nothing to do with the slave trade, but it's uh, but it has become a modern day phrase meaning something else, but the meaning just like 
Uh, I'm trying to think who's like the, the whip whipping... in Congress. Like you whip up the votes, you whip things. Yeah, yeah, and ain't none of that either. What's I'm trying to think of somebody who's like a whipping boy for something right now. Who's somebody that's been like scapegoated hardcore? Oh, uh, Zack Snyder. Uh, or no, uh, um, uh, like okay, I get it. Yeah, the whipping boy. Like when when something fucked up goes wrong, the studio is like, it's all this person's fault. They're the whipping that's boy. The whipping They're... boy. Yeah, Another yeah. word for scapegoat, basically. But what it actually meant was, like, it would be some trash Kathleen child. Kennedy is a whipping boy. Kathleen Kennedy? They blame, yeah, all the fucking Star I don't know if you're in Star Wars subreddits, but, like, anything Star Wars ever oh, goes yeah. wrong, it's they're crucifying Kathleen Kennedy for it. She has ruined yeah. Star Wars. Like, even when but, it's a— But it might be her fault, though. Yeah, know? that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Never mind. Uh, the way it would work was these like royal children, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, they couldn't be whipped by like their tutors or people like that, uh, nannies or whatever the equivalent of nanny nannies were, governesses, any of those people couldn't whip the royal children because they were, you know, so far below them in station, it wouldn't be proper. Mm -hmm. For them to for them to whip this child, but you know, kids got to get beat. Some kids got to get beat, right? You know, fucking people misbehave or whatever. So what they would do is, they would bring in a a, a trash baby, right? right? Like a child, a peasant. I, it actually, it's funnier, almost funnier about me is it wasn't a peasant child. It was like a lower noble child, like a right. low level nobility child, who would come in and get his ass beat on behalf of the right. prince or whatever. Right. So when the prince did something fucked up, they bring in this, you know, lesser sure kid, this less, this less hitting kid and yeah. just cane his ass in front of the prince and be like, what did you learn? You know? Yeah, and, yeah. uh, oh, Star Wars, the, the, the little boy who played, uh, Anakin, he was the whipping boy for the Phantom Menace. Everybody was yeah. just like, this kid fucking Jake sucks. Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. When really yeah. it was just like, dude, it was too fucking goofy. George Lucas made some insane choices, but they were like, no, it's because this child actor was horrible. He was a whipping boy. Yeah, I think, didn't he lose his mind? He loses his mind because they whipped him. Not that I blame him. him. Not that I no, blame he, him. But, dude, he got but publicly scrutinized he, he by like, grown men with neck beards. Right, right. But he like, he went off the deep end, right? Yes, uh, and I hope that he's fine now. Genuinely, obviously, I hope he is. But like, yeah, there was a there was a little while where it wasn't good for him. And like, dude, again, I get it. Like, dude, even being an adored child star is hard. You know, mm -hmm. like even if even if everything's going your way, that's difficult. And he got blamed. There was a sub part of the internet that blamed him for the fall of one of the most beloved franchises in the entire world. He's fucking nine years old, and he has to hear that from his friends and adults are saying it. He's a whipping boy. Yeah, at least like Ahmed Best could walk around the street. Yeah, you know what I mean? Nobody knew who he was. Like, yep. That's the dude who He's played Jar Jar, Jar, Jar Banks, Banks, Banks for the audience who doesn't know. Yeah, they, he played Jar Jar Banks, but like you know, nobody, he wasn't going to get recognized as that. Right. Like Jar Jar Banks got blamed too, but like that guy got to keep living his life. Right. Uh, whereas the kid caught all kinds of shit. Yeah, it was very stupid. Yes, he was a whipping boy. But I read that like, first of all, disappointingly, I read that it's, it's fiercely debated whether whipping boys were ever actually a real thing. Like that, or maybe if they were, it was like an isolated incident. Or it wasn't like largely practiced, but some people say it was. And there's a, uh, 
like there's some reports that like some families, like lower level nobility families wanted their kid to be like the royal whipping boy, paid? which is funny, which is funny yeah. to me. <laughs> no, it's just like proximity to the throne or right. whatever. You know what I mean? When they're you like, grow up, they're you like, might get whipped. They're like, listen, we're the, you know, look, we're the donkey lords. Okay. <laughs> like it's better than being a peasant. Sure. Right. But you know, we just got donkey. You know how nice that and, whip is? donkey land right yeah it's like but if you get in there and get your ass whipped professionally then you know that might raise our stations quite a bit right which i think is a funny thing to think about it also like yeah the whole premise of it is totally reliant on what kind of little shit the yes. prince in question is if it's like if the if the royal child is of a good temperament or what then, like then that will exp yeah will i hurt think him. that you know, I don't know if this is like jerk off or not, but I think this is true for both of us. I think that would work it's, on me. That would work on say, me. That would I I that actually would work more better on me than me get, for sure. Than, me too. Than if you whip my own ass, like that would be more effective. But dude, you know some of these motherfuckers was little psychopaths. Yes, or whatever, they're the prince. Who were probably in there like you know like oh Reginald. And he turns around. and He just pushes a vase off a of, you know. Well, there's off a. Of a there podium or something and it's like quick i've misbehaved and then they were there and just flog reginald I mercilessly was... in front of him while he smiles behind the <laughs> you know the tutor's shoulder or whatever like you know that type of shit had to happen of course any of this ever happened at all but I'm well just, i was thinking uh, about this a similar thing to this last night because i'm re-watching um black mirror just because we we just watched the me too you rewatch, yeah, because you this season I dug it, and I was like, you know, I haven't seen the 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 other seasons in a while. You watched so the was, whole new season, yeah, I loved it. I really loved you it. Did. It was different. It, it was different. I loved it. I really did. I, it was different. Um, my but I headline for the most recent season was, I I enjoyed it. It was good. It did not, except for that one episode, it did not feel like Black Mirror to me. It felt like a completely different show. I agree I with you, that's but okay. I dug it. Like, no, yeah. I agree with you 100%. It's like that but one, I dug it. without spoiling anything, there's that one episode where the most wild ass out of left field reveal I've ever seen. It was happens. just straight horror. It, the one with the paparazzi Scotland? in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. The one with the paparazzi in it. It's, it's That's like, my least favorite episode. I did not. And it's like, I was thinking if this wasn't a Black Mirror episode, I would be super into what just happened because but I, I would have been like, I'd be like, what? Holy shit. But it's like, I don't know. The reason I got so into Black Mirror in the first Black place. was Black Horror. It wasn't technology. Well, that one that takes, the one with the demon in it, it starts out, it says a, a Red Mirror production or whatever. And it's like. I love they, that one. Are they doing a spinoff into like. Horror. You know, is Red Mirror like what this is? The which blood. Makes, it's like the horror version of Black Mirror. Yeah. And it's not. if Because if so. Just make Red Mirror, as far as I'm concerned. I, like, the reason I got so down with Black Mirror in the first place was because I just, I was there for, like, the... the Tech shit. Few, the tech shit, the commentary on, yeah. you know, technology. And they strong with and it sci-fi and all that stuff. And that's what the show was, and I loved all that. And this last season really didn't have hardly any of that at all. The and first the, episode they, was they, a lot I, that. I said that. I know. I said other than that one episode. That one episode was like a Black Mirror episode. But even that one, I kind of was like, 
this is it, it doesn't matter but it anyway, was the funniest uh, well, the point is the point is is that i was re i was kind of picking a couple before i just went straight through because they're episodic you can do that you can just go watch whatever you want and one of my favorites uh a because i love jesse Plemons so much but b just yeah. it's fucking awesome is the uss callister callister so yeah. in that's that, a great one it's that's fucking a it's a mini movie white mirror episode yes. i can watch that just you know, if I've got an hour to kill, I can fucking watch the episode. Well, anyways, um, the girl from How I Met Your Mother, the uh, mom, she's in it, and he's punishing her because she sends that message out across infinity. But the way that he punishes her is he doesn't do shit to her. He turns one of the other ladies into a demon bug type thing. And yeah. I was thinking about that, and I was like, dude, that'd be the way to get me. Because, like, if you fuck with me, like, I mean, when I was a kid, like, if my mom spanked me, I was like, well, it don't hurt anymore. I'll go do the thing. But if she'd have, like, spanked my sister every time I did something, I think I'd have been like, oh, fuck, I can't let this happen. But, like, if you, you know what I mean? Like, football, like, at football practice, coaches used to do that shit. Forced her fucked up so everybody has to run laps. That will do more to you yeah, than that. That specific example, I think, is a slightly different thing because I think like that because the military will do shit like that. Football team, the, you know, they'll do shit like that. I don't think that's exactly the same thing because I think the idea there is that the whole rest of your team or your troop or whatever, they're going to be like, they're going to, it's going to be kind of self-policing when you do that because they're going to be like, way to fucking go, Forrester. Or what, like right. they're going to, you know, they're going to hold it against you and make your life not hit or whatever. Yeah, that's true. They're, but you, you don't want to have empathy. You don't want to let everybody down, but they'll make it, they'll make damn sure you know that you've done so. That's true. Is what I'm saying. If yeah, you the just whipping like, boy can't he, say that to the prince. Right. Yeah. Either but, way, though, either way, though, I'm with you on the, that's, that's doing that for me. That would be a way to get me to act better than yes. just punishing me, me straight too. up. Because I don't me give a fuck too. what you do to me. But it's a hell of a dice roll, though. Like you'd yeah. have to. Like, Joffrey wouldn't give a like, fuck. He'd jerk exactly. off. Exactly. Joffrey would love it. That's what. That's what's like interesting about it. the idea of it to me is like, with the right kid, it's actually like it makes perfect sense and is you know would be. Tomlin, Tommen, that would have worked on him. Yeah, hugely effective or whatever. But with the wrong kid, with a Joffrey type, it's like you know, laughably uh, a laughably bad idea. He would fuck um, up on purpose to watch a boy be whipped. Yeah, yeah, that would hit for him. Uh, wouldn't but anyway, whipping boy. No, it wouldn't. It's it, and I, I've talked about this a bunch, but it's nothing. Watching this show, like. I just think about <laughs> like every now and then they'll show like a servant who yeah. gets like yelled at for being a dipshit or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and I'll be like, that's if anybody in this whole show, that's who I would be. You know what I mean? Like you watch this, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, that's true for almost everybody though. Like that's, what's yeah. funny about these shows. It's like, People try to think that they wouldn't be that, but you people would be. All, so many people watch these shows, and you know they watch them thinking of like themselves. Jamie. The, uh, yeah, Jamie or fucking any of the pe the ladies at court or whatever, any of those people. And it's like, you would not be those people. <laughs> you'd be you'd be sweeping poop out of stables or whatever, you know, plucking, plucking geese in the mud if you're lucky. That's what you would be doing. Like, it's... Uh, but I don't know. People just don't want to put themselves in that position, I guess, yeah. when they watch. Like, you want to be, 
you know, everybody wants to be Jamie, but it's a funny of thing course, to realize, like, you know, people that people that like make a, like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year really don't understand the fucking distance between them and the actual right. elite. Exactly. See, that's the thing. <laughs> it's like the people that these shows follow. It's like, dude, even like even like in your hometown, my my hometown don't even have anybody even fancy per our standard but like in your hometown like the two richest families or whatever in chickamauga who are like don't even touch who are hot shit around there or whatever it's like they're fucking trash scum scum absolute bottom feeding garbage dude george clooney is garbage to these people compared to the types of people that are portrayed in these shows but people watch the shows and they're like, oh, what would I do in that scenario? And it's like, you get fucking I, thrown out a window for fun. Yeah. And then no re- one would care. That's what I, you would do. I like, remember <laughs> uh, when I was researching Coco Chanel, um, I have like three sources that I go to like heavily. Um, Encyclopedia Britannica all the time. I used Find, P-H-I-N-D. It is an AI-based search engine that just gives you really good results. It doesn't, like, write shit out. I mean, it can write shit out for you, but, like, it gets really granular, whereas Google just shows you a bunch of ads and shit. And when I typed in Coco Chanel, it led me to an episode of Behind the Bastards, um, and I listened to it, and I didn't even mention this story in there because there was almost, like, no way of me of telling it without just ripping it straight from Behind the Bastards. But I will now since I've given them credit. They were talking about Coco Chanel uh, being not married but, like, in a relationship with this, like, super loaded dude from England, this, like, Duke whatever the fuck. And they were trying to explain the amount of money that he had, and they literally couldn't even explain it. They were like, they were like, here's, there's like, there's people who are rich. There's people who are uber rich. There's people who are like fucking billionaires. He's like, then you got this guy who like, this guy didn't even have money. He had, he had the ability to never run out of money. Like he had so much money that there was nothing he could fucking do. Like, even if he tried to fucking spend all this money, he couldn't. And they they were, I think the, the host was like, he used a phrase was like, this was a guy who didn't really spend money. He just said a thing and it happened. Like, he just walked around saying shit, and, like, that stuff happens. And, like, that's how the fucking kings and shit, these nobility people are. Like, you can't, none of us, dude. Like, again, whoever the fucking richest person you think you know, even in Hollywood, like, oh, my God, Toby Keith's worth $200 million. Scum. Scum Uh on the bottom of these fucking people's shoes. He is closer. He is closer to the whipping boy than he is to the men of the court. I think we mentioned very early on in this show that this show actually originated as a as a concept ten years ago mm-hmm. uh, before we knew anything about Almost anything, longer. and that's why it, why it failed. Called Whiskey and Quiche. Yeah, the very first episode of Whiskey and Quiche we ever did, <laughs> we talked about this exact thing. <laughs> I just we, remembered that we did. it was it was about how like. From the Queen of England's perspective, Leonard Skinner was fucking trash, trash. or whatever. And how Leonard Skinner was, you know, uh, kings to Here, our people yeah, growing us, up or whatever. But, yeah, right. Um, yeah, dude. Um, I, think, so, I can't you know, remember. Time is a flat circle, baby. We've come right back around. I can't remember who it was I was talking about not long ago, but like, it was like, yeah, back then, like the most, Mo- it was Mozart. I don't know if I brought this up about Mozart, um, but like Mozart, when he went to even at his height even at his height when everyone was like this is the number one dude you can't get more number one than this and these people worshipped him whenever he would go entertain kings and queens he ate downstairs with the help 
You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like they thought, oh, we love you. Please come dine at our table. They were like, oh, no, you're great and all, but, like, you're an entertainer. Yeah. You're right, the help. You're the help. Yeah, right. Mozart, dog. Mozart. Yeah. So, like, yeah. ain't nobody watching this show thinking none of that shit correct. Right. Absolutely. So, who is the... Who is the lady you told us about recently who was like, Hattie Green. Uh, yep, Hetty Green. That's exactly what it was. I found this other story of this other woman from uh, sort of the same era. What was Hetty Green's era again? The Gilded Age, which, by which the way, was, what, hey, 18, did you, la- latter the, part of the 1800s? Yes, yes. Did you 1880s? know? I learned this afterwards. This is fucking crazy. I was at McKay's, I was buying books, and I saw a Mark Twain book that I had never seen before and it's the first book that mark twain ever wrote um with a co-author and it was called the gilded age right and it's Mm -hmm. a satirization of that age while like taking place he was he's living through it right and he's satirizing it and that's where the name gilded age comes from is that book and he was calling it that out of like like a joke on them like ironically yeah Yeah, like everything is gilded you know, but it's shit underneath. Yeah, like which we're, ain't putting real. Silver, yeah, we're, right. we're putting a silver. We're putting a But like that's where the Gilded Age, which is now, is like, oh, they're from the Gilded. Like Mark Twain invented that, and it was from a book shitting on all these people. Sorry, go ahead. That's how hard Mark Age. Twain hits. Is that like nobody even knows that? And that's I know. Pretty wild thing. You, like that's you have a, forgotten such a minor footnote. Yes. <laughs> in the life You've, and times of Mark Twain, you've forgotten uh, more about things he did that hit than he than you will ever do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, go so, ahead. I'm sorry. Like I said, age. in the interim, I found this story of this other lady. Uh, it was actually a little bit later than that. It was like the early 1900s, but New York, rich woman, whatever, kind of wild, cheap. So I thought I'd share it on here. Her name was Ida Wood. Ida I-D-A. Wood? Ida Wood. Yeah. <laughs> Who suck a dick? Ida Wood. No. <laughs> no. Sorry. I apologize. But she, uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Here's how it went down. March 5th, 1931, uh, the staff at the Herald Square Hotel in Manhattan uh, were interrupted by a 93-year-old woman who lived on the fifth floor there, poking her head out of the door out of the door, and saying, help, help, my sister's sick. I think she might be dying. All right, so the people go in there, room 552. It's, uh, it's two old-ass women in their early 90s, Ida and her sister, Miss Mary, right? Mary. What a? Uh, Mary Mayfield, actually, because Ida's maiden name was Mayfield, right? So Mary Mayfield, her sister, uh, who was, in fact, dead. But mm-hmm. because this old old woman had uh, croaked in there, that brought people into the room, you know, physicians and 
whatever coroners, just people, people come into the room. Nobody been in that room for a long time. And they start looking around and it's wild. It's like big pot stacks and stacks of yellow newspapers, cracker boxes, Orders. balls of used string stacks of old wrapping paper, several large trunks. Right. So, um, a lawyer had been called in because they didn't know what they're going to do with this corpse or whatever. The lawyers are all these, uh, these officials are there. They see all this. So they start asking questions, start asking questions. And it turns out that the manager of the hotel at the time, he had been there for seven years. He had never once even seen Ida Wood or her sister. They had lived in that room since before he had even started there. Wow. And lived there the whole time he was there and he'd never even seen hide nor hair of them. They uh, always paid their bills in cash, like through the door. They <laughs> wouldn't let the cleaning people come in the room. They only twice in the whole time they were there, they accepted fresh linens twice in 24 years. My they, God. They, they What's the point of living at a hotel? Right. Uh, there was a bellhop there who at, knocked on the door once a day, asked them if they needed anything. And every single day they said the same things: Evaporated milk, crackers, coffee, bacon, and eggs. And very occasionally Lord. fish, which they ate raw. All right. Wait, what kind of fish raw? It just says fish that they ate raw. They, I uh, don't know. Every now and then they get some snuff or some Cuban cigars because, you know, <laughs> still wanted to hit a little bit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And they went through Women jars and jars. Women used to dip snuff, man. That was wild. They did, except I thought back in this time it wasn't they even dipping it. snuff. It was snorting snuff. Yeah, yeah they yeah, put right. on that tiny little spoon. We she went through jars and jars of... Uh, yeah, that would hit because then you could, you know, snort other stuff and be like, just snuff, goddamn. Sniffing um, backer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, pe petroleum jelly. Vaseline. Vaseline. Yeah, right. Vaseline. I blanked on the word Vaseline for a second. She went through jars and jars of uh, Vaseline because she'd massage it onto her own face for several hours each day. Right. That's what's um, up. I do that. Yeah, beauty routine, I suppose. She's five feet tall and 70 pounds, nearly deaf, shaped like a question mark, right? But everybody <laughs> said she had over. real, yeah, everybody said she had real pretty skin, though. Yeah. So, like, people start asking, like, well, what the fuck is going on? And she's been here for 24 years, paying all her bills in cash. Who is this bitch? You know, like, and that, <laughs> right? Because she had just kind of like disappeared into obscurity in this room and been forgotten about. And she paid her bills in cash, so nobody cared to ask, right? Uh, they How's she not so get people, robbed? People start asking, because she's just in this random yeah, hotel room with knows. the door closed every day, not you know making any saying, kind of scene. You'd, you'd think that like one of the bellboys would have told that to somebody and it would have got out that like, hey, there's an old fucking lady. She's in this room. She pays all her shit in cash and she never comes out. Hit it. So, when, you know. So they start going they going through the stuff in the room because the room is in bad shape. And as they're going through all the stuff in there, they find like hundreds of thousands of dollars in 1931, right? Apparently back then Billions. we still had, we had $1,000 notes, $5,000 notes, and $10,000 notes, right? Mm -hmm. Like dollar $10,000 bills. So they would find like Grant was on the thousand. cracker boxes uh, with like th tens of thousands of dollars in it, shit like that. One while she was like sleeping, a nurse that they had, you know, brought in, like found a like a little pouch strapped to her upper leg that had like two hundred thousand dollars in it and ten thousand dollar bills. Nice and all this shit. So everybody's like, you know, what the fuck is going on? And also the uh, the journalist at the time found out about it, and this became like a nationwide story. The, the like, journalist who famously quoted, "Who is this bitch?" 
Is that the yes. one? Yeah, okay. exactly. There's this, you know, the elderly, wealthy hermit of, you know, whatever avenue she was on, you know what I mean? Of Manhattan. Like she became like a thing. People knew about her. People were fascinated by her. Like they found this, you know, this mysterious old woman living in squalor with like more money than God or whatever. It's like, it became a thing. So it turns out she had said she, uh, her name was Ida Wood. She was originally Ida Mayfield, daughter of a New Orleans plantation owner. All right, sugar plantation yeah, owner, yeah. and a very highly sought after Southern belle, mm-hmm. and then later in life married a man named Benjamin Wood, who owned the New York Daily News, and his brother wow. was the mayor of New York. So this is like Damn. these are high society New York people. So she, you know, came from money, married into money, and then joined New York's high society. Benjamin Wood was a big-time gambling addict, but she made an arrangement with him, which I don't think she knows how gambling addicts work, but I guess it ended up working <laughs> out well enough. The arrangement with him was she wouldn't bitch about it. He could gamble as much as he wanted as long as he gave her 50% of his winnings yeah. and he absorbed all the losses himself. He did not do right? that. That's what I was about to say. It's like, that's a good deal. But like I said, that's not how gambling addicts work. No. Like, you know, fucking, he's like, yeah, sure. You got it. Like, you know, I just bet our whole estate on the ponies yesterday, but yeah, whatever can, you say. Can we but, go back uh, for a second to the fact yeah. that he, that, so this guy that she was married to, he ran the New York post. You said New York daily news, New York daily news and his, which you've worked for. I and, have, I did used to work for the New York daily uh, news. That's and right. his Got brother fired there, I believe <laughs> I'm certain that you did uh, and lost a lot of subscribers. Let's not yeah, discount yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but, but he, he ran the New York daily news and his brother was the mayor. Now, even in today's time, that is a power couple of people, but back the, in the William Randolph Hearst days, that no shit they had so much fucking money, dude. Like that right. is like yeah. the two most powerful positions that you can hold in the economical center of America. That ought not be fucking legal, dude. If your brother runs the paper, you ought not be mayor in the town that he runs the fucking paper in. Right. So she got written about in papers and stuff as, you know, a, a bell of New Orleans and all that, you know, remarkable even in the parasol age and all this shit. Like, you know, just that type of. <laughs> even in the parasol age. That type of, you know, like I said, New York high society type bullshit, right? I said her dad was a wealthy sugar planter. Her mom was a descendant of the Earls of Crawford. So her mom was like old world wow. nobility or whatever, but in New Orleans. Uh, so anyway. All this comes out. All this backstory comes out. Everybody's super fascinated by it. Then all these people, these uh, like uh, vampires, vultures, whatever, start circling. She gets like hundreds and hundreds of letters from people saying like, Auntie Ida. I'm your cousin. I'm your, yeah, right. I'm, yeah. I'm Jebediah Mayfield, your, you know, third cousin once removed or whatever. I, my daddy was whatever Mayfield. I'm Yeah, right. Like, and I, you know, I would love to take care for you in your infirmity, you know, or whatever. Uh, and she just ignored all that shit. But like people were all circling around trying to get at her money, all this stuff. Uh, and she finally, you know, like I said, this all, this all happened after she, she was 93 when all of this like came out, like, 
obviously when she was younger, she lived her life. She was in high society. She had money. She was in the papers, all that stuff. But I'm saying she disappeared from all that and went into hiding and became a hotel hermit in the early 1900s. Then she lived her elderly years in the shadows. Nobody knew anything about her. All this stuff that I'm saying about all this coming out and being covered and then finding the money in the background, all that happened after she was 93, right? Right. So short, just a year later, on March 12th, 1932, she died, right? So all this was kind of a whirlwind thing. And only after she died, a year later, in 1932, did all of the lawyers and people involved who came together to, you know, unravel... uh the, the intricacies of her, of her estate and all the money she had and all that stuff. Only when they came together after she died at the age of 94, 1932, did they find out that, in fact, her father was not Henry Mayfield, prominent wow. Louisiana sugar planter, planter, but instead Thomas Walsh, a poor Irish immigrant from Massachusetts. What? Her mother was a street rat with no schooling. <laughs> who grew up in the slums of Dublin, just Irish trash, no connection to that nobility at all. Her real name was not Ida Wood. It was Ellen or Ida Mayfield. It was Ellen Walsh. Uh, she was in her teens when she picked the, the surname Mayfield because she liked the sound of it. A good right? sounding her, name. Her sister Mary took the name too just because, right? And it seems... Because because her and her and Benjamin Wood, the guy, the gambling addict who owned the paper, they had a a, a daughter together named Emma. One another thing they found out after she died was Emma that, Wood. that Emma Wood that that daughter uh, wasn't her daughter at all, but was in fact a much younger sister of hers. Wow! That uh, and and Benjamin so was Benjamin Wood the, real? That he's real. That I'm saying the 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 point of all that being Benjamin, it seems knew all this shit, right? And kept it all a secret his whole life. And stayed married. He knew she was secret trash and all this stuff. So and all that money was just his. Had nothing to do with her family. Yeah. She pulled yeah. a catch me if you can on the whole goddamn world. Yeah. And nobody found out until after she died at 94. So. That's fucking props to her. But I'll tell you this. like this, guy, this uh, Another thing that this has to do with Hetty Green is with this out of wood, it begs the question, why have all that money if not to hit? No, I you know, know what I mean. I remember you saying that, and that's what I thought when I was reading about this too. It's like I don't you gonna you're eat you sucking on fish heads and eating crackers, right. staying in with the same room, millions of dollars. Like you, I, like, dude, you, even, like your look, cousin does like that recluse, right now. Right? If you're a if you're I like I kind I got a cousin of, broke. Don't do shit. I kind of get if you want to be a recluse and you got sure. all this money, like. Staying in a fancy hotel room and never really leaving, I can sort of get with that. But like, but get your bed, get the changed. fresh sheets, yeah. get some fucking, get a massage, eat some caviar, yeah. fucking yeah. sit in the jacuzzi, drink champagne. Yeah, like hit, make it hit right. to be oh, in yeah, there all of, the time. It's like the, the I whole, hit, I just don't want nobody else around me. Dude, like that is it, fine. The, yes, I, like, I don't mean like you've got money, you should be squalor. going places. Yeah, like, the squalor. It's why the squalor? The squalor. It right. makes no sense because, dude, everything about that situation seems so attractive to me, and it's exactly what I would do if I had fuck you money, especially up to the part of like ignoring all these people who were sending me letters claiming that they were my cousin. My rule now: I don't have no money. I mean, I do fine, but I don't have like I could change another person's life money. You know what I mean? But like, 
No. My thing is, if I ever really hit, really strike it rich, my rule will be, if I ain't know you yesterday, I don't know you today. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, that's it. Whenever I strike it rich, everybody that's currently in my life, y'all are still in my fucking life. New people, the fuck out of here, right? But, like, so I love, the like, being in a cabin and, like, getting Uber Eats. That's fucking great. But, like, yeah, man, like, saltines and fish bones and shit and not getting my shit changed and being in there with my stank-ass fucking trash sister, that ain't it. Mm -hmm. No. No, that ain't it. Wild story, though. At the same time, like, same time period, uh, she was first, but shortly after her, at the same time in Manhattan, in Harlem, actually, they also discovered two elderly brothers who were doing the same thing, who were, like, wow. living in self-imposed squalor with all kinds of fucking money. And it was in Harlem, but these were two white dudes, for the record. I've... I've already Collier, Homer, and Homer and something Collier, I think. But anyway, they I guess it was a whole met. thing in Manhattan yeah. uh, during that time, evidently. I, That's I, sad. Yeah. Like, I mean, they could have known, if they'd have known about each other, they could have all four lived in squalor together and, like, yeah, you know. Got it on. Because, like, it'd be one Stank, thing if, like. Spanked it up. Yeah, it'd be one thing if Ida, like, if she was there with, like, her lesbian lover, but it was just her sister. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. you know, we we all as human beings at some point need a release, you know? Like, I, I don't, like, I love my sister, but, like, I couldn't be in the same room with her for 24 years because there are certain things Lord I'd have to no. do. You know Lord what I mean? No. Like, I love her. I love her more than anything, but, like, I couldn't. Me and you can't be in the same room for more than two consecutive days. Mm -mm. And I love you more than my fucking luggage, brother. Yeah. No, that don't hit, you know. No, it don't hit. Apparently her brain didn't hit either, so what are you going to do? Uh, All right. Tell you who did hit was Alfred Hitchcock. He sure did, Trey. Well, let's talk about him. Right after this. All right. Cannonballs! This summer, it's not about the size of those cannonballs. It's about making a splash with our friends at Manscaped. Prep for barbecue season by making sure that your grill master has the hottest dogs, wiener, the summers have ever seen. When you're at the cookout, let the meat speak for itself, baby, with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. It's time to get ready and not sweaty by going to manscaped.com and using code POA for 20% off and free shipping. I would be nowhere in this world without my Manscaped uh, 4.0 package. I truly wouldn't. I love the trimmer because I ain't got to keep up with all the little pieces. It's just a little click, clickety click. Y'all know that I stay talking about the ball deodorant because, as you know, as soon as you get out the shower five minutes later, your balls go back to smelling balls, but not with the products from our friends at Manscaped. I love them. Use them every day. Trey, tell them a little bit more about them. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to guarantee you'll have the most mouth-watering treats at the party. They have built the ultimate bundle for your summer grooming. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, which can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention the trimmer's waterproof too? Beach, pool, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest of pubes. Mm. Now that you can feel safe wearing a low-cut swimsuit without any stragglers peeking out, use Manscaped's liquid formulations, basically the ball freshness version of cracking open a cold one. They've got crop preserver ball deodorant, keeping you cool from sunrise to sunset. 
with a soothing aloe vera formula that's the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Wearing sandals with some nasty toenails during this summer month? Take a look at the Shears 2.0, a luxury nail grooming kit. The kit includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. And as a treat, you should add in the Crop Mops to your order, a moist towelette made specifically for your beach balls. It's the best midday refresher to stop your popsicle from melting. So here's what you do, y'all, to get 20% off and free shipping. with the You use the code POA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code POA. Manscaped, the perfect way to get your patty sizzling hot this summer. Skip the nicks and cuts on your dicks and butts. Skew! Are you looking to budget your food expenses this summer? Get more bang for your bite with America's Best Value Meal Kit. Every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping with no hidden fees, so you can count on great value week after week after week. Sorry, I'm a Sesame Street guy. Plus, only pay for what you need with pre-portioned ingredients. Stay cool this summer with oven-free meals. Ooh, I like that. Very refreshing. Every plate's easy, no-oven dinner recipes. Enjoy satisfying, flavorful options like linguine with burst tomato and kale, a Conta-style shrimp taco bar, and a beef banh mi bowl. Lord, I love banh mi bowls. I actually had my first one from every plate. You can whip them up after a long summer day. No oven required. Make the sustainable choice this July. Every plate, every plate offsets 100% of their delivery emissions, and their meals have 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals. Uh, by the way, did I mention that you're saving money if you choose every plate over takeout to save money while still enjoying quick, satisfying meals? Their meals are 50% cheaper than your average fast, casual meal. They're the easiest way to eat affordably. Trey, you, you're a huge fan of every plate, correct? Oh yeah, I started. Yeah, I do have a family. I started uh, every plate. I don't even know how many years ago, and never looked back. I've always been, you know, I like the kitchen. I like doing kitchen stuff. I like fooling around in there, cooking and whatnot. But I'm also trash, right? Every plate makes me feel fancy, right? You know, doing stuff with every plate. Like I'll be, I'll cook stuff using like a balsamic glaze. I wasn't ever using a balsamic glaze before that. You know what I mean? I was eating meat out of a can. Now you got like Mm -hmm. fresh ingredients and. Fancy gourmet type stuff. It really expands your horizons from a culinary perspective. And the thing that I've always loved the most about it is it keeps me from being wasteful, which I had a real penchant for doing before I had every plate in my life. I'd go to the grocery store, stock up, be like, these are the seven meals I'm going to cook this week by five pounds of squash and end up throwing more than half of it away. Right. But none of that happens with every plate because they do the portioning for you. And, uh, it's extremely useful and beneficial, but it's also fun. It's like I said, you learn while having a good time in the kitchen. What more could you want? I love this stuff. I recommend it to everybody who cooks at home at all. So if you're one of those people, here what you can here's what you can do. You can get started with every plate for just a dollar forty nine per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and then entering the code four nine POA. You heard that right. A dollar forty-nine per meal. Come on, can't beat that with a stick by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and then put in the promo code 49POA. And we thank them for sponsoring putting on airs. Don't waste your squash. 
All right, let's do it. Are you calling this history of Professor Cho, or is this some? Is this a different thing? This, uh, I'm giving you the history cinema. of Alfred Hitchcock for sure, but I guess that we could do Cinema Verte with Professor Cho. Cinema Verte with uh, Professor Cho, Verte? yeah. I always I believe said Verte. So. I, you're, I get, dude, you're mostly right, I'm certain. No, I don't know. I mean, you... Uh, I'm, 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 uh, I can be word. I, I say words dumb sometimes. So do um, I. I say words dumber than you. Yeah, but I'm saying it's not like okay. a for sure thing who's dumb. I was about really it. hoping that you would be like, no, it, we say words dumb the same, but I guess it's not true. No, you do say I'm dumber than me, but uh, Barrett, <laughs> yeah, it looks like verite to me. But there's definitely yeah. an eye in there, but anyway, yeah, it's it's verite. Uh, I know Hitchcock, like master of suspense. Here, a couple of anecdotes I could think of. I know about him. He said. <sighs> something about if you got a scene with two people in a restaurant talking, it's like that's they can just be talking about whatever. But if you've shown the audience that there's a ticking bomb under the table, mm -hmm. right, then the whole scene is completely different, right? Even if you change none of the dialogue, none of the words at all, yep. like they could be talking about something totally mundane, but the audience knows there's a bomb under the table that changes everything. Uh, That's I also why they know call that he, him the master of suspense. Yes, right. I also know that uh, he uh, actors didn't hit for him largely. He yeah, said he called actors cattle. Cattle. I think, yeah. So they should he be said treated they were like cattle, cattle to be pushed around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, that's something about his wife. He had a, I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. We'll talk about his wife. We'll talk about his wife. She's an unsung hero to the man. Right. That's for certain. Yeah. Uh, but, I've I've started. Um, I like to start these out now with quotes from the people, so that we can get like a little bit about them from like their own words before we go into thing. And the first one is uh, related to what you just said. Alfred Hitchcock said, "There is no terror in the bang, only the anticipation of it." Right. Right. So that is why he's the master of suspense. He believed that tension was more important than shock, because if a bomb goes off, everybody's like, "Huh." And then it's over. But if you show a clock that's ticking down and then some other shit's going on, everybody's on the edge of their seat. Right. So he was like he was like really big on that. And this one quote, I think I put it at the bottom, but I want to say it now uh, in that somebody asked him, they said, who, who's your like, who are you making movies for? Like, who, who are you trying to scare? Are you trying to scare men or women? And he said, oh, women, 100 percent. And they were like, Why? And he goes, well, 80% of the audience is women. And they were like, well, explain that. And he's like, well, okay, even if it's not, even if it's 50-50 women to men, like, you have to understand that how going to the movies work is the man always goes, well, honey, what would you like to see? So it's always her decision. So even if it's split 50-50 down the middle, the woman is more important in in the movie-going process. She's the one that's going to ultimately get you there. And that's fucking true. That's also the only reason any man ever ends up at my comedy shows. Um, yeah, so mate. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, man. <laughs> no uh, man is ever like, let's go, let's go see what that dude. Yeah. That's what I want to see. That guy talking, but every now and then they get drugged there. Uh, some sweet Speaking ladies, of, bless their heart. Go ahead. <laughs> librarians. The lot of them. Yeah, librarians. Speaking, the lot of them. I love librarians. Of, me too. Speaking of understanding women, one of his quotes is the ideal husband understands every word his wife doesn't say i love that uh if i won't be myself who will it's a wonderful quote and hitchcock was certainly his self i don't really know any other dude that was quite like him he also says this which i disagree with 
a little bit. Never judge a country by its politicians. I don't know. I don't know about I, that. I, uh, I definitely <laughs> think you could. I here's what being gracious to him. Here's what maybe he actually. Yeah, this is probably what he means, and I do agree with him if this is what he means. Meaning like, don't judge the people. I'm not, I'm not gonna say I hate all Russians or whatever right now because That's of true. the shit that Russia's Putin. doing. Yep. Like, you know, Russians, Russian people, you know, they hit for me. They're funny. They wrestle bears. They get drunk as fuck. Like, I like them, right? But uh, Putin, but Russia, Russia, the country. It don't hit right now, yeah, because of what they're up to. So maybe that's what he means. And if that's what he means, yeah. then I actually do completely agree with him. For sure. He said suspense is like a woman. I mean, bro, when we were in the UK, did yep. you didn't want people Boy. judging us by no, our politicians. I did, I did right? not. Like, I did not. Your but, politician is Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> so yeah, like, no, that, that's, you know. and theirs was Boris Johnson <laughs> at the time. So I'm certain yeah. they felt the same way. Uh, he said suspense is like a woman. The more left to the imagination the more the excitement 100 mm -hmm. percent agree uh i love mm -hmm. this one i agree for a minute so? but I'll, yeah well, you I'm know see you want to see them titties out. yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah like right. if the titties yeah, don't ever strip, come out then yeah right a strip tease is only good because you know you're seeing some titties, seeing titties at if the they end don't right, ever yeah, pull them out i yeah, mean yeah right fuck that, that the, what are we doing that don't hit at all yeah yeah exactly i love I love this one because you have to understand that he was there for a time when television was first coming about. He said, television is like the invention of indoor plumbing. It didn't change people's habits. It just kept them inside the house. In other words, people always wanted to be entertained. You know, people saying like, oh, now everybody does is watch television. People were always seeking entertainment. It's just that now they can do so in the comfort of their own home. They don't have to go outside to take a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy playing the audience like a piano. Revenge is sweet and not fattening. I love this. This is true. Well, it's not 100% true. This is uh, this is how me and you would probably say it because we're writing people. To make a great film, you need three things. The script, the script, and the script. Uh, I would say that there's been plenty of movies that had a good script that was butchered by the cinematography and the CGI yes, and shit. but, but... If you don't have a good script, I don't think you can make a good movie. Agreed. Agreed. Now, Which I well, think that's okay, what he means. All the, none of the Mission Impossible movies even have a script. <laughs> so so uh, sometimes they don't. They literally famously don't. Like, sometimes you can yeah. do it. Sometimes. Right. But, like, that's the exception that proves the rule. That's the only movie I can think of that's like that. And that's just because the Tom Cruise machine is so insane. Um Reality is something that none of us can stand at any time. Preach that shit, player. Uh -huh. um, always make the audience suffer as much as possible. Um, film your murders like love scenes and film your love scenes like murders. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, then this is the last one that I'll share, and I really love this because, again, it goes back to the whole nobody likes reality. Making a film means, first of all, to tell a story. That story can be an improbable one, but it should never be banal. It, sh it must be dramatic and human. What is drama, after all, but life with all the dull bits cut out? I love that because a lot of people, when you're watching a movie, people will go, that would never happen. And it's like, yeah, right. Well, we don't like things that do happen. Things that do happen don't hit for us. That's why we went to the movies to see this thing that probably wouldn't happen. Even though mm -hmm. Hitchcock always liked to 
in his leading men and leading women, he tried to make it an ordinary person so that the audience could go, oh, shit, this could happen to me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Hitchcock grew up in a very strict Catholic household on Lust London's East End. Uh, his mom was like super clingy, overprotective of him. This a lot of people posit uh, was what drew him to psycho so much. And his dad was like a very extreme disciplinarian at this one time when he was a kid. I think he was like seven or eight or nine, like a kid kid. Uh, he was acting up, just did something, I don't know, fucking like didn't pick up his trash or some shit. And his dad gave him a note and he said, take this note to the police station and I don't want you to read the note. Just take it to the police station. So he takes it to the police station and gives it to the cops. And it was instructions from his dad for the police to lock him up as like a nine-year-old fucking kid. And so they did, and they only lock him up for five minutes, but they don't tell him, hey, you're only going to be in here for five minutes. And so when that happens, that sets him down a path of a lifelong fear of being in an enclosed space and also a hatred for authority. So, like, this super, super fucks him up. Um, what, what? His dad his dad just sent a letter to the cops. It was like, hey, throw his little ass in jail for yes. five minutes and then yes. send him and back. in the past, they would do that. And they were just like, righto. Yeah, right. Yes. Yes, in the past, they Someone's would do that Someone's being shit. a rapscallion, are they? Yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah. no one thought about what the ramifications of that are going to be. Like, we know now, like, dude, like, we would never send our nine-year-old to jail because, like, mm -mm. there's more of a chance that they'll get hurt while they're there. Like, that's going to have some psychological repercussions. But, like, back then, it was just that whole, like, this will scare them straight. You know, this was a very scared yeah. straight yeah, back thing. then, be like, get in there with the rest of the kids. You know? <laughs> yeah. Put him in the kids' sale. Yeah. I don't know if we got room in the kids' sale, sir. <laughs> Whip him. Filled with orphans, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, so I think this sort of like sends, this sort of like implements in him a love uh, of the macabre which Hitchcock would obviously, you know, become famous for. When he was in elementary school, he used to play, like, pranks. Like, we would all play pranks when we were kids. Like, you know, you'd, you'd like, I don't know, put put your friend's hand in warm water when they were asleep and they'd pee on themselves. Or, like, you'd, you know, put a whoopee cushion under him, which he, he would do later on in his life. He would, he would, <laughs> he would actually reupholster his furniture and have a whoopee cushion sewed into the furniture um, and then he would have dinner guests over and they would sit on it and they would not see like an actual whoopee cushion mm -hmm. and they would sit on it and fart and he would berate them in front of everyone <laughs> for the entire meal for having farted. And they couldn't just say it was a whoopee cushion because it was literally upholstered under the fucking chair. Um, but then that's, but that's really like, and I'm going to get into his pranks later. That's really like a very like basic level one that that's kind of fine when he was in elementary school he literally would like get his friends and he was by the way he was a fat little ugly boy um he he like what he turned out to be is exactly who he was when he was a kid he wasn't like some pretty little boy that turned out to be fat and don't hit like i was it is possible because uh -huh. i was a cute kid <laughs> i was a cute kid turned out fat dumb don't hit alfred yeah. Hitch hitchcock was fat not dumb did hit but still fat ugly grotesque yeah. looking as a baby uh, and but he would get like his buddies at school they would just like find a kid who didn't hit 
and they would just like chain him to a tree and just leave him there until people found him. Like, and they were Classic. just like, oh, it's a, it's a bit Classic. of fun, isn't it? It's yeah. so, I had no idea that Alfred Hitchcock was like the first, it's just a prank bro uh, yeah. guy. It's funny. Yes. It's wild that he he's was like a pioneer in both cinema and YouTube, apparently. Uh, that's a good point. That's yeah. That's, he uh, loved pranks. wild like, shit. Like he was, you know, the reason that I thought that he would be good for this show is not just because he was, he's, you know, from England or, or uh, he's British, but by the way, when I was a kid, I'm not sure if I knew that. And the only reason that I don't think I knew that is because people, like I used to, like, I remember Alfred Hitchcock's presents, you know, the TV show would like come on on Nick at night or whatever. And I would see him, but like, all like all those actors and stuff kind of talked like that back in the day. So it wasn't like they had that East, uh, that mid Atlantic accent. So like yeah, sounding like right. that didn't always mean British to me. It could have just meant you're an American actor. You're a fancy, you know, they all sounded fancy. Um, so I didn't know that uh, about him, but he, he, he starts his, his career in the film industry in 1919 as a title card designer. That's all he did. Like he worked for this production company and he would just literally design uh, the title cards. He got his first opportunity. And this is where he meets his wife, by the way, Alma, Alma Reveal, uh, who I believe would keep her name. She never switched to Hancock or uh, Hitchcock because she was also in the industry. Um, he gets his first opportunity to direct a film in 1923. He's 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 doing British films and this British uh, style of filmography. He would sort of bring that to America and then sort of like use that and also take some of the American. But it gave him his like super unique style um, when he meets his wife working at the studio, by the way. I thought this was interesting. She was like a hot shit editor and she would go on to be continue to be a hot shit editor. She was his editor on all his films. And the more I read, like I'm, I'm listening to people's quotes about them. People would say that all the movies that she was his editor on were his best movies. And when he wasn't working with her, it was like, eh, it was fine. You know what I mean? And a lot of people also say that like he really, and, and dude, this is just how it happens with women, especially in that day and age. She could have apparently had a way better career if he didn't hold her back. You know, uh -huh, like he, yeah. he was It'd really like that. Yeah, he was really like, no, you don't go work on this shit. You need to stay around the house so you can work on my shit. And she uh -huh. always had dreams like, I really want to do this project, but Hitch wants me to do this. And then sometimes he wouldn't have her work on his shit at all. He would just want her to stay at the house and play house and stuff like that. And she would get an opportunity to go work somewhere. And he'd be like, you can't do that. And like, it's just them days where like. Everybody was like, hey, you better do what fucking, you know, Alfred the says. The man say, yeah. Right. But when they first meet, he's just the title card boy, and she's a hot shit editor. And he was, like, in love with her from the start, but he wouldn't approach her because he says, uh, paraphrasing, like, you have to understand, like, back in this day, a man would never approach a woman if the woman was more successful than him. Like, that's right. insane. You know, which, like, to give him credit, I think that definitely still sort of persists. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, not that I want it to be this way, but like, if tomorrow Amber started making more money than me, I would be proud of her. I'd be super happy. It would hit for me really hard that we had more money, but there would be this tiny part of me that was like, fuck, I don't hit anymore because that's just what the culture is. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what the fucking culture is, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I think. We were talking about a man like not talking to a woman who hits harder than him or whatever, which I definitely think is still a thing. I feel like me and Katie have been together for like fucking 
14 years. You've always uh, been harder than she, though. Right, that, and that's exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, <laughs> it's actually debatable. When we very first met, she had we both worked at the same like bar together, but she also had her own like uh, fitness endeavors, her own boot camps and shit that she was doing, and I didn't have none of that. So she kind of hit a little harder than me, but I quickly started hitting harder than her. Don't get you know. Amber did hit harder than me when we started. Dating. And uh, well, well, yeah, dog. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's because I didn't hit, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, my infant hit harder than you uh, at that time. But uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and she was a teacher. Imagine how hard I didn't hit. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty hard. But um, but hey, you hit now. You hit now. You figured it thank out. You, but, um, thank you, Trey. But anyway, I so I mostly have hit harder than Katie. Fourteen years in, if if she were to somehow take over. I think I could roll with that just fine yeah, at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with I'd be, you. I'd be like, yeah, you know what? It is your turn. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I take. I, yeah. Now that we have the kid, and like, I genuinely am like trying to spend more time at home and not have the weight of the world on my fucking shoulders. Yes, that mm-hmm. would rule. Like, if Amber, they, somebody offered her, they're like, hey, we want you to run this company. You'll get paid five hundred thousand dollars a year. Leave teaching. I'd be like, thank fucking god, I ain't doing shit. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, they they moved to Hollywood in 1940. Uh, they that's where he directed his first American film, uh, Rebecca. He's got hit after hit after hit, and then like I mean he's crushing. Like he's an immediate success. He's like already heralded as one of the best directors around. But then he does something that is like literally unheard of at the time, dude. It was almost unheard of until like pretty recently, which is that he started working in television. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, like we, like we've talked about this on well read and just in person, but like the television golden age changed a lot. Cause like, there was a lot of people who like, they would, you, you make the jump from TV to film and you do not go back. And if you go back, it is fucking, you're done. I mean, there was like a lot of jokes on 30 rock with when Alec Baldwin was on 30 rock, like there were like inside jokes. Jack was saying them, but really clearly what he was talking about was Alec Baldwin's own career. He would be like, Oh no, you can't, if you're doing film, you can't do television. That's a death nail, you know? And it really was like television was like, a starting ground but like if you didn't make the jump to film quickly you were a television person and that was fucking it but hitchcock's uh agent just got him this like a deal that he just couldn't turn down for television to do this thing called uh, alfred hitchcock presents which is where i first found out about who this person was like i that matter of fact that's the only thing i knew about him when i was a kid because Al- alfred hitchcock presents used to come on like nick at night or something like that yeah. and it was basically you remember it right the silhouette, the the the, the, the porky silhouette of him pops up in profile. He, he walks he, into it. He himself walks into it, and then like the show starts or whatever. Like pretty iconic, definitely very iconic. That. He had his own theme music for it, and mm-hmm. like I, I just recently watched Anthony Hopkins play uh, Hitchcock, and they played that that music, and it immediately brought back my childhood. And I was like, that's crazy. I don't know of another director who has his own score for just him entering a room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like it also, but so like his, his agent gets in this like really fucking sweet deal. where like Alfred Hitchcock's presents is basically like an anthology series where like he didn't even yeah, direct like some the Twilight of them. Zone or something. Yes. Twilight very Zone, much, Outer but, Limits. But horror. Yeah. Man, and, I really wish that that was the thing. All of those I shows, that. I think at some point they overlapped. They would have had to have Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, yeah. and Alfred Hitchcock presents had to overlap at least a little bit. That would have been a hit in time. 
Uh, yes, it would have been. Twilight as Zone, far by the as way. That goes. Um, I watched several of when I was a kid, it used to come on like Nick at night or whatever. So I'd seen a couple, but like not as an adult, have I gone back and watched them, but I recently started and I just started yeah. with episode one and buddy, they're fucking good. They're real good. Yeah. Like I'm I went talking back about, and, I went back up. and watched a couple of, a couple of Twilight. Oh, I, I picked like classic ones. Like I watched the William Shatner one with the terror yeah. at 20,000 feet or whatever it is. Like I, I rewatched that one and with the gremlin on the plane and, like the one where the dude's glasses break at the end, like all the like classic ones I rewatched. I didn't just watch them in order, but I mean, yeah, dude, Twilight, Twilight's on fucking rules. I but it's not to me something it. that you have to go. That you have to go. Okay, you have to consider that they didn't have good technology back then, and this is what they're worth. They're just good. Like I just think they're good. Like I don't even have to put myself. There's some old movies where I really do have to go. Okay, remember that they didn't have CGI. Remember this, and I'm. But there's some, like, Casablanca, you don't have to fucking do that at all. You can just hit start, and, like, that's a good fucking movie. And, like, you, you know, we were talking about earlier, a good script is a good fucking script, you know? And those Twilight episodes are, like, they were able to, I think the black and white arguably makes it creepier. I, th I think it's yeah. wonderful. But but he gets this really good deal where, at the time, he's getting, like, $30,000 an episode, which, like, may as well be a fucking million dollars right now. Yeah, that's so he can't, crazy. He can't really turn it down. Um, but... There is part of him that is like talking to his wife, talking to his therapist. He saw a shrink, by the way, which was unusual for back then for a man to do like very crazy. Um, and he would tell him he's like, I'm just super worried uh, because I think this is cheapening me. Like the fact that I am doing television is making them think that I'm cheap, which is just like it's so bizarre because that show was such a fucking massive hit. But like that is true that there's a lot of people going like Hitchcock does TV now. So, I mean, you know, fuck him. Um, but around this time, North by Northwest with Cary Grant comes out. If you've never seen it, it's a fucking great movie. It's not what you would think of with Hitchcock because it's not like a horror slasher. It's like a political thriller type thing. It's a runaway success. So Paramount is like, dude, you know, do whatever you want. And by the way, you have you have one more movie due for us in your contract. And so he's kind of like, I don't know what my fucking, because he's not an auteur like, uh, like Tarantino. He doesn't write his own shit. Like he has a hand in how it's going to go. And as a director, he changed a lot of things. And it's not like he wouldn't do some dialogue, but like he was always searching, reading scripts and stuff. And then he comes, somebody mentions him this book called Psycho. And he reads it and he's like, dude, this is fucking it. Like, this is what we're doing. So he goes to Paramount and uh, he's like, yo, I got it. It's psycho. Dude at Paramount like reads a book and he's like, absolutely not. Fuck no, you're not doing this movie. Which is crazy to think because like, again, he's had hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And then North by Northwest is like breaking box office records. And, and it's, this is what terrifies me about the business. They're still telling him no. They're telling fucking Alfred Hitchcock no. Like, he's mm -hmm. the darling of television. He just had a commercial success, and they're like, sorry, you don't get to make this movie. Now, Hitchcock could have been like, okay, I'll go do something else, and I'll finish out my contract with y'all. But he didn't do that. He was like, I'm fucking making this movie. And they were like, oh, cool. We're not paying for it. How do you like that? And he's like, guess what, motherfucker? I've got a shit ton of money. I'll just do it myself, right? So he tells them that, and they're like, well, if that's what you want to do, I guess that's what you want to do. But he's like, okay, I still need somebody to put the fucking movie out. I don't have, like, a distribution service and shit like that. So he goes back to Paramount, and he's like, all right, how about this? I put up all the money 
for the fucking. This is how it worked out. He goes, if I've got, he told him, he goes, if I've got backers that will make this movie, I've got investors that will make this movie. Will y'all just put it out and then let me have forty percent of the back end? And they were like, yeah, but where are you going to get investors? And he pulls out a checkbook and goes, who do I make this out to? <laughs> Which That's is pretty, pretty gangster. gangster. Yep. It's very, it's very fucking gangster. Um, so, like I said, he gets the studio to agree 40%. Uh, him and his wife end up having – they have to mortgage their house to do this. And This was the initial thing that made me go, I'm definitely doing an episode on him. Um, he talked in this interview about how, you know, when he had to mortgage his house and when he had to make this movie, he had to, he had to give up a couple lifestyle cuts, as you will. You know what I mean? His lifestyle <laughs> cuts were so fucking funny to me because the first one was – you know, I had to give the driver the weekend off. <laughs> so uh-huh. That's tough. He's still, he's still got his driver yeah. for the whole week, but the driver's got to get the weekend off. And the second one that I found super funny was he could no longer import his geese from France, Trey. Oh, uh, no. And he had to get cheaper crash geese. <laughs> crash to geese. Get the <laughs> fucking sorry-ass Canada geese. Yeah, even French Canada geese don't hit as hard as no, you they know, not regular even a little French bit. geese. Everybody knows that. Yeah, but buddy wanted sacrifice. to make his movie. It's about yeah. sacrifice, Trey. And like to to think about the sacrifice he's making. Like by the time Psycho was made, he was like getting a guaranteed two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a picture, which again is millions of dollars now, like millions of dollars. So instead of getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars, he has to put up. 800,000. That's his initial like quote for how much he thinks it'll cost. Obviously, everything goes over budget. Um, this is a really fucking crazy thing that he did that I love here. And I'm certain that some types of things like this still go on, but this is wild. So Psycho was like a fairly new book and he knew that when it announced that he was doing a movie on it, everybody, it would be a bestseller. So he had his people and put up his own money for it. He bought every single copy of Psycho that there was it, from every store, from the publishers, because he didn't want people reading it and finding out the ending. He didn't want his movie ruined. Lord. Which is a, which, isn't that crazy? That's so crazy. But it's a, Almost- it's a fucking huge win-win for the writer of the book. Of course, like, yeah. He got all the money from the 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 right. and his shit, and you know it's going to sell afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just, it was such a gangster move. Like he really did, like throw it all on the line for this movie that everybody told him, like, dude, it's way too gory, it's way too graphic. Like the audience is going to fucking hate it. And he's like, I will stake not only my career but my literal fucking livelihood. Like if this doesn't work, he's not he's not keeping his fucking house. He's out eight hundred grand. He more again more than that because he's bought every fucking copy of this book, which clearly hit. Otherwise, he wouldn't be making a fucking movie about it. You know, right. um, the biggest problem that Hitchcock faces during the production of Psycho, and I know that you know what this is, but I'll explain it to the audience. Um, that's the Hayes Code. You're familiar with the Hayes Code, correct? Is that the uh, that the communist thing? Or no, no, it, no. It's the it's the like a the pre- censors. puritanical thing. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those of you that don't know. Thing. The Hayes Code, also known as the Motion Picture Production Code, was a set of industry guidelines for self-censorship of content in motion pictures released by major studios in the United States from 1934 to 1968. And it was created to rehabilitate the image of the movie industry after several scandals and to address concerns raised by religious groups. Um, And now I would like to talk a little bit 
about cancel culture because I've been told so many times that you can't do shit nowadays, Trey. Have you heard that? Have you heard people I saying that? I have heard that. that. I have heard people well, saying that. Well, they had a literal code back then uh, that <laughs> meant that you couldn't say certain things. Yeah. You couldn't Here's show all the certain shit you things. You can't do. Yeah. And I would love Codified. to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And look, I get some of it. A lot of it was murder type stuff. They would be like, hey, you can't do you can't do a murder that way, which gives me one of my favorite Hitchcock quotes, which is, but my murders are always models of taste and discretion. Um, uh-huh. But here's the here's what they were really mad. What that, they were mad about that. But here's another thing they were mad about. And this goes back to my whole. Oh, really? You used to could get away with whatever. And now you can't. They were really upset with the fact that he was going to show a toilet flushing. Yeah. I'll say that again. He was, they were getting upset because he was going to, there wasn't a turd in it, by the way. I was going to say no poop. No poop, just a toilet flushing. And by the way, Trey, up until this point, they had never shown a toilet in American movie before, let alone flushed it. Never once had they showed an American toilet. You couldn't do it. The fucking horror. Uh-huh. Says the American religious people. Yeah. Can't do anything anymore. Um, they were very upset uh, with, they were reading the script and they saw that Vivian Lee was to be nude. Now we all know that she doesn't show anything. It's just the shower scene. She had to be nude when they were filming it, but he's going to show up from a certain angle. But they were like, she's going to be nude. And Hitchcock says, that's ridiculous. She will not be nude. She will be wearing a shower cap. <laughs> it's fucking great. It was just fucking great. Um, aside from buying the book, buying every single copy of the book, he did another thing that was unprecedented at the time, and I don't remember having seen it any time since. He made a rule that theaters were not allowed to let anyone into the theater after the movie had started. He didn't want uh-huh. the experience to be ruined for anybody. He didn't want anybody coming in blind and being confused. And to uh, enforce this, he paid for like fucking Pinkerton agents and shit (laughs) to be at theaters. And he did it for several reasons. He did it to enforce this, but also uh, he wanted to create this mystique that this movie was so dangerous that they had these guards and stuff. So like he's in charge of his own PR, you know what I mean? Like we see now, like the people that are in charge of PR for Barbie, like they're making everything pink, like they're they're fucking, you know, slamming all this in your face. He had to do it like guerrilla style. He had to come up with all these like unique ways to there's make a there's a dude, I think his name was William Castle. Is that right? I don't know, but uh who pioneered a whole lot of that stuff you're talking about right yep. there that we sh- we should uh, talk about uh, on a, a future episode or whatever because he did some why is that is that William Cass that might be somebody else anyway go ahead I'm gonna try to find that but I but I love shit like that like he had to get really inventive because he knew that Paramount didn't really have much incentive to push it they weren't gonna lose any money on this if it didn't do well and he's making forty percent of the back end and like. You know how some of those people are like some of those people are like, I'd rather lose money than tell this motherfucker he was right. Like a lot of people feel that way, you know, so he knows Uh he's like, I got to go. I got to go with this alone because they're not going to be helping me. So word of mouth is going to be the thing that really pushes this, because at the time Paramount was like, all right, we'll release it in two theaters. We're going to release it in two fucking theaters. So he knew he's like, I have to. And they and they didn't do a premiere for him. So Hitchcock does like his own fucking premiere. 
where he shows up. Um, he's got the guards there and stuff. Like he's he's like in the fucking he's in the back. Like he didn't go into the movie theater. He's just like standing in the back, and he knows because of the score when things are gonna happen. And he's just sitting there maestro and it like and scream and scream and just fuck and, and it's worth. It's like you said you wanted to play the audience like a piano. Like he knew when the screams were coming. And he's super stoked because he's like. As long as I can get people talking about how fucked up this is, they're going to go to the movies demanding it be shown. And, of course, Psycho was a fucking otherworldly, you know, hit. Like, he pulled it off. He did it. But I never knew that he did it all by himself. Like, him pulling that off is not also his creative genius in film. It is his creative genius in marketing. It is his tenacity. It is his persistence. Um, Here's the deal, though. Um... I've, also, I've said all these great things about Alfred Hitchcock, and I wanted to say all these great things before I got into these other things, because Hitchcock may have been a piece of shit. Uh, uh-huh. May have been a little piece of shit. You know, we talk a lot about method actors. He was sort of a method director, you mm-hmm. know, in that he would do anything to get the shot that he wanted, and he didn't give a fuck if he physically, mentally, psychologically harmed you in the process. Like, he didn't give a fuck. Like, uh-huh, apparently, right. apparently before every scene a woman was in, right before he yelled action, he would whisper something, like, super pornographically dirty in her ear just to throw her off so that she was, like, you know, coming at the character uh-huh. loosely or wasn't, like, being too tight. That's, like, border... I mean, that's... I, that's bad because it's it's technically sexual harassment, right? But at least it's just words. It's like whatever. Yeah. Okay, if he I did mean, it to a also, dude, also not in 1958, it yeah, wasn't right, right. right. <laughs> of course, but I'm saying like if he did it, but even now if he did it to a dude, nobody would give a fuck. So like in in the um, spirit of equal rights, it's like all right, it, it's a bad thing, but th- there are worse. There's way fucking worse things, such as such as uh, in the famous shower scene in Psycho. They had this, like, stunt double that was, like, blacked out, wearing all this black clothes so you couldn't really pick them up on camera. And they were just kind of, like, stabbing at Vivian Lee, and she was, like, reacting to it. And she was not reacting to it well enough. So Hitchcock went and picked up a real fucking knife and went in there and started just, like, fucking stabbing at her without telling her. And, like, getting Uh real close to her with a real fucking knife. So all that reaction you see from Vivian Lee is her genuinely thinking, holy shit, Alfred Hitchcock is about to accidentally fucking stab me. But, I mean, they got the shot, you know. Yeah, hard to argue. Well, I mean, I guess it's not hard to argue with. Also, it's Janet Lee, right? Who's Janet, uh, Janet Lee? My bad, my bad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Vivian Lee is that's a whole different person. It is Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee was uh, in uh, um, Gone with the Wind. David O. Selznick, uh, who David O. Selznick, who butted heads real big with Alfred Hitchcock. In um, North by Northwest, you remember Martin Landau? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Martin Landau hits for me super hard. If you've never seen his best movie, it is Ready to Rumble, um, where, he plays <laughs> Sal, where he plays Sal Bandini, uh, who is the wrestling trainer, and I think he deserved a fucking Oscar for it. But there's a scene in North by Northwest, and I heard Martin Landau say this. Um, there's a scene where um, he's supposed to get punched in the face, right? And apparently... Hitchcock goes up to like the AD on the movie and right before this scene and goes, Hey, um, is Martin working for the next couple of days? And they're like, uh, no. Why? And he goes, 
I don't think this scene is going to work unless they actually punch him in the jaw. I need his jaw to come loose. So without telling Martin Landau, they, he just goes and tells the guy, hey, do your best to break his fucking jaw. And mm-hmm. what's funny is, like, Martin Landau, though, like, being an old-school actor, he was like, we got the shot. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he didn't give right. a fuck. He didn't give a fuck. Uh, in Birds, uh, they actually chucked live... They tell um, T- Tippy... Her name was Tippy. Hold on just a second. Let me, let me go Hendren. back down. Tippy Hendren. They tell Tippy Hendren, hey, we're going to get these mechanical birds. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And then on the day, they actually just chucked live maniac birds that had been caged yeah. up at her face uh-huh. for yeah. eight straight hours. Yeah. For Threw a bunch eight... of seeds in her hair and yeah. just turned for all these that... starving birds loose. <laughs> at one point they chained a, they chained a chain to her and chained the other parts of the chain to the bird's legs so that it couldn't go further and would want to perch on her and peck her mm-hmm. face. They mm-hmm. did this for, they threw birds at her for eight hours a day and you'd think, okay, they'll probably got it all in eight hours. No, they did that for five days straight for five yeah. fucking days straight. This woman got attacked by very real birds. Um, yeah, he used to prank a lot of people, as I was talking about earlier. One that is very concerning is that when there were actors, he, Hitchcock was a very big drinker. It would ultimately take him. He was a very big drinker. And whenever he was on set, he liked for people to be loose, have fun, drink, especially after they were done. And when there was a drink, an actor who didn't drink, um, he would just be like, oh, don't worry. I know that you don't drink, so I got you some orange juice. They'd be like, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, he roofied the orange juices. And uh-huh. uh, those actors said that they remember just waking up, not knowing how the fuck they got home. And nobody said that they remember Hitchcock doing anything to him. It just pissed him off that they wouldn't get drunk, so he just yeah. slipped him a Mickey. Right? right. Another famous prank. Uh, he chained a cameraman to his camera. Uh, he once bet a camera operator that he couldn't spend an entire night chained to his camera, confident the cameraman accepted the bet, but Hitchcock secretly dosed him with a laxative before locking him up. So the cameraman Lord. ended up chained to his camera and shitting on himself all night, and they all came to the studio the next day, and he was covered in his own poop. Excrement. Yeah, classic, hilarious prank right there. This one's kind of cute. He once hosted a dinner party where all the food was dyed blue with food coloring, and the guests were served blue soup, blue trout, blue peaches, and blue ice cream. He was interested in seeing how his guests would react to such a situation, like see if they they would say anything or if they would just be like, okay, I don't want to be rude. He also played on Fears. If he found that actresses were told by – he worked with a lot of the same crew, and they would always tell these young actresses, like, hey, whatever you do, don't tell him what the fuck you're afraid of. Um, because one time actress Elsie Randolph, he had found out that she had a big fear of fire. Um, so he goes to shoot this scene that actually wasn't even in the movie. He got a British telephone booth, you know, like the TARDIS, uh, he locked her in it. And then he had a, a technician pump smoke into it, thinking of her that she was about to burn alive. Uh, and also probably Jesus. fucking up her lungs pretty good. I would say. Yeah. Lord, um, dude. Yeah, he also sometimes used pranks as a part of the creative process for his films. For example, during the filming of The 39 Steps, he handcuffed the two lead actors together for a scene and pretended to have lost the key. Uh, they were changed to, They were chained to each other for literally the whole day until Hitchcock found the key and explained that it was a ruse to help them build uh, chemistry. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Yeah, and also some rough stuff in the movie, uh, and this is the reason why I researched this. Uh, I noticed in the movie, which was like Anthony Hopkins plays him, Helen Mirren plays his wife. There's just all this, like, he seems like a decent, creative guy, not too insane. There's just one scene where all of a sudden Anthony Hopkins is looking through a peephole at the actresses while they're changing. And I was like, oh, fucking Jesus Christ, what's going on? Well, it turns out that Hitchcock was really wildly obsessed with all his leading ladies, and he hated it when they showed any type of independence because it was like his dream to take an actress who like maybe wasn't known so much and mold her and have her work exclusively in Hitchcock pictures so that he could truly claim that he made her and then sort of have her under his thumbs. And this is goes back to what you were saying of, he said his quote was that actors were like cattle to be pushed around. Um, he thought they were children. He thought very lowly of actors. Somebody asked him one time, like, have you, did you ever consider being an actor since you're always, and he said, no, there is nothing as low uh, is that at all? I would never do that. Like they're they're pieces of shit. He pulled that. He pulled a bunch of this shit on Ingrid Bergman. But like Ingrid Bergman was like she'd been at Casablanca. She was already like hitting, and but he wanted to like mold her, and she was like, "Bruh, I got my own career. I don't need you. Get your creepy ass away from me." So he made up a story that she raped a cameraman. Okay. Um, and that went around, and uh, luckily, I can I can't believe this because you think like I know Ingrid Bergman was a star, but like usually women could be rent pretty easily. But apparently, she just like took it in stride and was like, "Hitchcock's just mad because I won't suck his dick," and everybody was like, "Yeah, that tracks." Uh -huh. um, this was not the case for Tippi Hedren, though. And this is where it gets really dark. Um, Tippi Hedren has claimed that Alfred Hitchcock sexually assaulted her during their working relationship. She described an incident where Hitchcock grabbed her and put his hands on her in a very sexual and pervasive manner. Uh, the alleged assault, along with other instances of harassment, created a hostile work environment, right? Uh, so she resists his advances, and then he, re he threatens to ruin her career. And uh, she does go and tell people, and he absolutely does block the studio from submitting her performance for an Oscar nomination. Uh, he talked very disparagingly of her to others. He also refused to allow her to work with other directors and studios. And they, and then after this, they were all reluctant to hire her because Hitchcock was talking a lot of shit about her. Um, and uh, yeah, he he basically literally ruined her entire career. Like, there's pretty much no other explanation other than that that happened like this woman refused his advances and he fucked her entire career and uh that's yeah, yeah. that A happened was all uh, this time hitchcock died at age 78 from liver failure and he never won an oscar Ailt. that's alfred hitchcock all righty I, I think it was wise of me to save that bad shit for the end because I was having a lot of yeah. fun talking about how I'm hard talk about he how much it is. Yeah, right. But, yeah. I, but <laughs> like, but like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't do it without mentioning that. Like, I don't of think course. that's fair. I don't think that's fair either. I've done that in the past, but it was very accidental. Um, it was because like I was getting all my information from like one source and they were whitewashing it, and so like mm -hmm. I didn't know any different. But I've since like really tried to like you know get my sources from other things and like. Yeah, so sorry if I've done that in the past, but, like, yeah, he did, dude, he fucking did hit. There's no doubt that he hit, uh, but, like, he did some fucking Weinstein shit, to, or Weinstein shit, too. So that was right. Alfred Hitchcock, a fucking legend, also probably a huge piece of shit. 78, of by the way, as fat yeah. as that fuck was and as much as he drank, that's a drank. hell of a run. Pretty good run, pretty good it's run. a pretty good run. Can you believe that he never yeah. won an Oscar? Uh, I... 
you know, he worked a lot in like horror and suspense and stuff. And I feel like the Academy then and even now, they know, don't respect kind of never really respected those genres. So yeah, I, I agree with him. It. <laughs> anyway. God damn okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I got another frog in my throat or whatever we do. What's Air wrong mail. with you? Yeah, what's wrong with you? You've been having way more frogs lately. I don't know what it is. It's like yeah, I don't know. All right. Airmail, by the way, I didn't mention it last week, and I'm very sorry. You can always mail us at puttingonairs at gmail.com. Subject line, purses and bags. Hey, y'all, I'm listening to the episode that came out today, and there's a slight tangent about Trey buying his wife a Gucci bag. Oh, Lord. Sorry, I had a frog in my throat, and he farted. That's what a burp is. Um, it's about Trey buying his wife a Gucci bag, and I felt compelled to humbly request that someone talks about Birkin bags. I know about Birkin bags, Trey, so if you don't, I'll take that. Y'all can talk not. about their absurd pricing and resale market, just like you talked about the rest of ridiculous modern art in the more recent episodes. I just thought it could be a funny episode, especially since these things can sell for half a million dollars and are considered by some to be better investments than real estate while just looking like a basic purse. Humbly, Emma Claire. Thank you, Emma. Lord. Okay. Yeah, you didn't know that? No, I'm going to make a note Randy of it. Wife got a Birkin bag. Okay. That's how they doing. Yeah. Uh, congrats to Colonel Trey. I recently saw that Trey was named a Kentucky Colonel as a lifelong Kentuckian who has worked his entire professional life in public service to this glorious commonwealth. I must admit that I am a little jealous that Trey earned this honor while I still hope to one day <laughs> do something worthwhile <laughs> yeah, that, enough to have the honorary Colonel status bestowed upon me. Hey, we're entertainers. We get stuff not, that you don't. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it ain't right, buddy. It's we don't. Fair. It's not right. No. It's not right. Because I'm a Colonel as well. And I ain't done shit. Now, I love the state of Kentucky. I've sang yeah. their praises. I've done wonderful shows there. But, like, I've wrecked a truck there. So, I guess I paid some sort of taxes uh, in, in my cop fee or whatever the fuck it was. But, you know, we don't hit. You hit. Uh -uh. Right. But the subject of Kentucky Colonels made me remember my favorite story from a Kentucky history class I took in college about 20 years ago, which involves a colonel, and I thought this could make for a good story for the podcast since it involves several things that Rich and Trash both love. Pro football, whores and strippers, drugs, and political scandals. <laughs> I'm in. Back in the early 1960s, Newport, Kentucky, across the river from Cincinnati, was one of the hiddenest yeah. places outside of Vegas with booze, gambling, whores, and the mob. That, of course, didn't hit for a lot of people, so they wanted to elect a new law and order and family values type as sheriff to clean up the county. And that the candidate was former Notre Dame and Cleveland Browns quarterback George Ratterman, my dad's coming right now i'm certain because he knows who george ratterman is fearing that ratterman would win and put a stop to all the fun in newport some mobsters drugged him and took pictures of him naked and in bed with a stripper named april flowers ratterman was eventually able to prove he was drugged and set up not porking a stripper and won the election cleaned up newport and turned it into the family-friendly suburb with an aquarium that it is today Later, when Miss Flowers arrived to give testimony to a grand jury about the Ratterman setup, she was proudly showing off her honorary Kentucky Colonel certificate, which had been approved by Lieutenant Governor Wilson Wyatt. This, of course, caused another round of scandal, and Lieutenant Governor Wyatt promptly stripped, pun definitely intended, Miss Flowers of her Colonel status. Thought you might enjoy that story. Keep up the good work, and Trey, my wife and I can't wait to see your show in Lexington in a few weeks. Yes, hell yeah. Right that was specifically what I was going to ask at the end, because I, 
the Kentucky Colonel video I made was was really made to tell the people of Kentucky that I was coming there next week, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to make sure I was like, well, I appreciate you saying all that, but you're coming to the show, right? But they are coming to the show, so we're good. Um, I wanted to share this one out loud because, and also to tell Dad to definitely put this in the description of the podcast. So our buddy uh, said, hey, sorry to keep bugging you about this, but I love y'all and think that it will be a good thing. It's a great way to connect and listeners. uh, The subject is POA Discord, Discord, the Discord, right? The Discord. I'll include some screenshots. You'll notice that in one of them, there are also servers for well-read and weekly SKUs, also made by me and Gravy Baby. I think that one was made by Carmen Morales. If Trey would still like to join, all he has to do is click this link. So I've got a link for you here, and we can put that in the description so people can join, for the love of God, the uh okay. putting on airs yes. discord all, i'm sending i'm, I'm sending this it. shit right now into our i am too because i know that that's a good thing it's literally just that the emails got buried and i'm a fucking dumbass uh, and also so, we don't and i, I tried to like I, once after one of these emails we talked about it i tried to like search for it on my discord app and couldn't find anything because i'm yeah. discord dumb i don't know how to me too so I'll click the link and join it. Yeah, and then and Corey's just, got I, it in the description. So if you're listening to this, go to the episode description, and you can find it on there, and you can yeah. join if you are into that sort of thing. Because, yeah, it's definitely a good idea. So Yeah, Dad, I just texted it to the Putting On Airs uh, group text where that's where you can grab it, Trey, and that's where Dad can get it to put it in uh, the uh, description. That's all the airmail for this week, but I would like to take a moment to say if you have not pre-ordered our book yet, that also is in the description of this podcast, Father, if you would put that in there. Me and Trey wrote a book called Round Here and Over Yonder. In keeping with the theme of the show, we went to the grand old UK across the pond and wrote the back third of the book about that. It is super fucking funny. I am really, really proud of it. Uh, you can pre-order it now. It is, by the way, Trey, I don't know if you know this, it's number one in travel humor. We're super proud of that. And we wouldn't have gotten that done if all of you hadn't already pre-ordered it. But for those of you who haven't, please pre-order Round Here and Over Yonder uh, so that we can sell copies, make money for our families, and then they will let us write another book, right? Yeah, we'll hit. Go get it. I believe I'm on the Discord now. And I remember my Discord username because I did it to... I signed up on Discord to be in a Salina Boys group, and the Salina mm-hmm. Boys used to lovingly and jokingly call me Mama Trey because I like I was always the one who like paid the goddamn rent and did all the adult yeah. shit, you know. I was gonna go so with queer like, oh, fart, but here, co- no, I was, I was like, here comes Mama Trey again, mm-hmm. you know, fucking wanting money or cooking food. What a yeah. queer, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so my Discord username is Mama Trey. Uh, then it's like that transfers apparently, so that's funny. But yeah, I'm I excited I'm about. There. I'm excited about this Discord. I'm also throwing it out there, and please don't let this fall upon the same shoulders of the the wonderful man who's doing our Discord. But if there's anybody out there that's Reddit savvy and wants to start a putting on air <sighs> subreddit, that would be awesome. Uh, the dollop has one, and I feel like we're like you know adjacent to the dollop. We're kind of dollopy in a way. That would be great. I will be very active on there, and I would love it. But I can't. I can't do it myself. That's gay. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can't yeah, make your own. Else do it. Like like you can't. You up. can't make your own Wikipedia entry. You know, Mm-mm. like you guys. Somebody Mm-mm. has to do that. Which, by the way, someone do that for me too. Trey has one. I don't. Don't hit. Hey. Oh, all right. Stay fancy, mother. I mean, I'm mentioned on yours, of course, but I don't yeah, have a hyperlink. Yeah. yeah, that's appropriate. Hey, I feel like. Yeah. 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 And and this guy tagged along with Trey on all the stuff he did that hit. He doesn't have a hyperlink, though. He don't. All right. right. TreyCrowder.com. Check out my dates and pre-order the book and all that stuff. And, yeah, stay fancy. We love you. Love y'all.
bloody libelous. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Royalty and rednecks are alike. They both like cutting and picking fights. Biscuits and baked beans where they don't belong. Sit on down with Cory and Trey and learn some fancy shit. Today we'll laugh a little even when they're wrong. They'll take you to a magical place where if you call someone a cut, nobody cares. They keep it debonair at putting on air.